Hey guys, Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com. It's this week's podcast, and be sure to rate, review, subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We have built it up. Every week we're getting more downloads. It's because of you. So thank you for sharing, for rating, for reviewing it. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Safeties drop really deep. Handoff Sermon over the left side. Big hole. 30. First down. 25-20. Breaks a tackle. 15-10-5. The minister is into the end zone. Preach. Mason takes the ball, fakes a handoff, fires over the middle. It's caught by Aitman, and he takes it into the end zone. He juggled it for a moment, but got it back. Pistols firing. Touchdown, Oklahoma State's Marcel Aitman. There's more to us than that. Two receivers left, one right. Quarterback keeper here, 30-yard line. Jesse, 25-20, 15-10-5 to the goal line. Touchdown, 35 yards on the run for Jesse Ertz. Turpin in motion, they fake to him, hand to Hicks, he'll walk in and score. Hit the horn with 7.39 to play in the second quarter. And the Horn Frogs now go up 13-7 to in France. 2,000 country stations, yeah, we're one big country nation, that's right. Baker Mayfield to the Jets, is that really going to happen? Pete Mundo with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Always appreciate you joining us. Week two now for me in Kansas City, and it's been a, it's been a blast so far. It really has. Getting going on KCMO. And now being out here back in Big 12 country has been a lot of fun. And it's it's going to do really big things for the site as we get closer and closer to the fall. So a lot to look forward to. Pete Mundo with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Always appreciate you guys joining us here on the show. Uh, that's the latest that we have. Baker Mayfield has a two-day visit with the New York Jets. And while this would give us storylines for days, weeks, months, and years with these two partners together, this is not where I want to see Baker Mayfield go. I got to be honest. I I think that the Baker Mayfield comparisons to Johnny Manziel are totally bogus, totally unfair, and absolutely unreasonable. If you compare Baker Mayfield to Johnny Manziel, that is lazy. That's what guys like Skip Bayless do, Stephen A. Smith, the list goes on. That's people who don't know what they're talking about but want to make um, an outlandish statement and want to give you a hot take. That's what they do. Oh, Baker Mayfield's the next Johnny Manziel. No, he's not. Not even close. Are you kidding me? Do you watch college football? Do you follow the stories? Do you know anything about these two guys? It's not even close. Baker Mayfield, I I interviewed Devonta Lampkin last week on the show, Oklahoma defensive tackle. Um, We've had on multiple OU players. They all love Baker Mayfield. Johnny Manziel's teammates didn't love him. Baker Mayfield's not only a better player, a better person, better dude, more well-liked, all that wrapped in the one. It's a lazy comparison. But I do think that Baker Mayfield at the New York Jets is not the best fit. And here's why. There is a part of Baker Mayfield that's got a little bit of a, um, 
arrogant bad boy streak to him. And it's not like Johnny Manziel, who was a legitimate alcoholic and drug addict and had issues that Baker Mayfield, at least that we know of, does not have anything close to. Baker Mayfield in New York City is something that I'm okay with if we're looking at the New York Giants. I think that organization, that environment is more conducive to a guy like Baker Mayfield walking into that organization, learning for a year under Eli Manning, and then taking over the reins and doing his thing and having success. Baker Mayfield with the New York Jets under Todd Bowles, who is not a real disciplinarian. You know, I just spent five years working in New York, um, following the Jets, following the Giants. Todd Bowles is not running all that tight of a ship. Look at Mo Wilkerson. Look at some of the guys that just did their own thing there. And it was certainly not reprimanded like it would have been within some organizations. There is not the culture that the New York Giants have with the New York Jets. On top of that, the leadership on the New York Jets is certainly not what it is around the New York Giants from ownership on down. It is just not there. So I want to see Baker Mayfield succeed. I think he can be a really good NFL quarterback. I, I believe that. Uh, you know, People are all over Sam Darnold. Um, they're all over Josh Allen. They're all over Josh Rosen. I don't think Baker Mayfield, I don't think that, you know, you look at all four of those guys and the chances of success, I would take Baker Mayfield over any of them. I would. But your personality has to fit the situation. And Mayfield walking into the New York Jets is not the ideal spot for him. I, I just don't believe that. You know, I, I think he does need a little bit of uh, maturing, a little bit of veteran presence around him, a little bit of humility. Now, all these things that make Baker Mayfield great, the quasi-arrogance, the strutting, all those type of different things that make him great do need to be reined in just a hair his rookie season in the NFL. I think that's important for any guy in his first year at the next level to have that bit of humility, but also that stable environment. And I don't see that with the New York Jets. So I, he's got the two-day visit. The Jets have the number three pick. Uh, they may, the latest... I'm seeing in different mock drafts have some combination of Allen Rosen going one, two, and not Allen. Yeah. Allen Rosen and Darnold going one, two. I don't know what the combination is. It depends on the mock draft that you look at, but that's what a lot of people are discussing and addressing here for these top three picks. So then that leaves Mayfield and one of the other quarterbacks available at number three. And that's where the Jets could say he's our guy. I, I just, I, I'm not in love with it. I'm really not. Now, let's get back to the college level where we did have some spring ball this past weekend with TCU. And our own Matthew Postens was there, gave us some really good analysis on what to keep an eye on, what to look for. I, I was previewing this thing last week on the website. But Matthew gave us some good insight into what actually took place. Now, Sean Robinson started the game. As we expected, Justin Rogers, the true freshman for TCU, four-star guy, best recruit in TCU football history, did not play as he's still coming back from a knee injury that he suffered as a senior in high school. 
So Robinson led the Horn Frogs offense right down the field for a first possession uh, for a score. And Matthew says he looks comfortable. His passes weren't always crisp, but we saw that last year from Robinson. And if his passing game does not improve, I'll tell you what, Justin Rogers is going to have that job before you know it. Because we saw Sean Robinson play last year. I believe it was that it was the Texas Tech game, if I'm uh, if I recall that right. Texas Tech game is the one he played when Kenny Hill was banged up. And he looked good on the ground. He rushed for 80 yards. He did not look good passing the ball. And in the Big 12, you know, this is not the Big 10 where you can get away with scoring 17 points and call it a day. You've got to have a guy that's accurate and can help you put points on the board through the air. And the fact that I know it was a cold day on Saturday in Fort Worth. It was like in the 30s. It was chilly. It was damp. I understand all that. But man, if Sean Robinson's going to be the guy for this team, you got to be able to pass the ball, not just in this offense, but in this conference. You can have the best running backs, the best offensive line. You have to be able to play from behind, down two scores, and get quick scores and put the ball in the air. And it concerns me that Matthew pointed out on HeartlandCollegeSports.com after seeing the TCU spring game that Sean Robinson did not look incredibly sharp in his passing game. I'll give him a break, but it's something I'm keeping a close eye on here as we inch towards the summer and then get into uh, fall camp in August. That That's, that's something you want to keep a very very close eye on. And if you missed this for TCU, got some uh, pretty good news just a couple days after that spring game. Jawan Johnson, a linebacker from, linebacker from Northern Illinois, is transferring to the Horn Frogs. Now you say, whatever, Northern Illinois guy transferring to TCU, what's the big deal? Well, Pro Football Focus has him rated as the highest graded linebacker in FBS in 2017. Now, sure, you want to say a lot of that is due to the competition he was playing. That's fine. But TCU's got an opening there at the linebacker spot. Traven Howard, Sammy Douglas are out the door, and Johnson's perfect size. He's undersized by traditional linebacker standards at 5'11", 220. But in the Big 12 and in Gary Patterson's 4-2-5 defense, it is the ideal size in many ways. So he comes to TCU eligible immediately as a graduate transfer, and that is a name to keep an eye on for the Horn Frogs, who uh, the Big 12's wide open this year, man. I mean, we're going to get into that as the season approaches, but you can make an argument to me right now of probably, I don't know, four or five teams? I know it's early, but let's go down the list here. West Virginia, Oklahoma, TCU, Texas, and maybe even Iowa State. If everything breaks right with what they have coming back in Kempt and Montgomery. I, all right, let's leave Iowa State out of it. <laughs> I won't get carried away. But make a solid argument to me on four, Oklahoma, West Virginia, Texas, TCU. Is that crazy? It's going to be a hell of a year. Now, ESPN says this conference is not likely to have a college football playoff contender. They say 26% chance that uh, the Big 12 gets a team into the college football playoff. The only reason, I think that's low. I think that number is low because year in, year out, the Pac-12 disappoints. Okay, we're going to get an SEC team in there. Uh, Big 10, 
You want to say Ohio State year in, year out. Penn State has good players coming back. Okay. And then the ACC still has Clemson at the top. But if the Big 12 doesn't get in, it's because there's going to be so much parity in this conference. I think it's going to be a very good year for the Big 12 in terms of their non-conference games and then also their bowl games. But I could see that two losses in conference play, 7-2 and two in Big 12 play, after the tiebreakers could very well win you this conference uh, this coming fall. That, that would not surprise me or shock me in the least. Pete Munda with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Also, a couple of spring games coming up this weekend. Oklahoma and Texas Tech. There was supposed to be three, but it got canceled. We'll get to those coming up next here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. So a couple of spring games to keep an eye on this weekend in the Big 12 Conference. Oklahoma and Texas Tech supposed to have Iowa State, but they canceled their spring game uh, because of pending uh, poor weather forecasts. So disappointing that the folks in Ames are not going to be able to see their team this weekend. But, uh, you know, still a lot to get to and still a lot to touch on. Pete Mundo with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Always appreciate you joining us here on the show. As uh, we roll right along, and for the Oklahoma Sooners, a couple things I'm watching and keeping an eye on. We know Kyler Murray's the guy, but it's interesting. I didn't know if he was going to play this weekend because he's also a baseball player. Uh, um, and how about the OU baseball team, huh? Off to a nice start. Number one in this week's uh, Big 12 power rankings that we do every week. Shout out to Cam Brock, who takes care of those. He's our baseball guru on the Big 12 side of things. So good stuff from him. But... I didn't know if Murray was going to play, but the roster was released, and he's he's listed on there, so I guess he's going to see some action. And we talked earlier in the show about Sean Robinson's passing ability. What's Kyler Murray's? I know he was the hotshot recruit going into Texas A&M, a five-star guy, um, and then he comes to OU, and he played a little bit last year, especially, well, those for, I guess it was just that first drive against West Virginia after Baker Mayfield was quote-unquote, suspended for his crotch grab against Kansas, the most ridiculous thing in the world. Uh, the suspension, not the crotch grab. But we don't know what Kyler Murray is. At least, you know, if you're around the program day in, day out, you've seen him. But for those of us that are following just the Big 12 and those of us that are keeping a pace from afar, I want to see Kyler Murray's long ball. Does he have it in him? We know he has the wheels, we know he's got the foot speed to get it done at the Big 12 level. But just like Sean Robinson, I need to see what this guy can do with his arm because Oklahoma is loaded as could be when it comes to running the ball, when it comes to the offensive line. Uh, they're going to be absolutely fine there. But what I want to see is guys, Trey Sermon, Rodney Anderson, what do those guys have? Kennedy Brooks as well. All these different players in the backfield who are uber talented. We know they are. We know the potential is there. Where this team could rush, you know, in Lincoln Riley's kind of spread power offense, they could rush for 300-plus yards a game. They could do it if they wanted to, easily. But there has to be the threat of the passing game. And I don't know yet if Kyler Murray can bring that to the table. That still remains to be seen. And I think that's something that a lot of fans has to keep a very, very close eye on as the season progresses 
and as it moves right along. Now, also, we've got the uh, Texas Tech spring game, and that just comes down to the quarterback, right? That's what it's all about. Uh, keep an eye on the quarterback and what that means moving forward. The three quarterbacks in the mix here, McLean Carter, Jet Duffy, and Alan Bowman, are the guys that are in the mix for the starting job. It's not that I'm concerned that Cliff Kingsbury's team is not going to score its 35 points a game. They are, but who's it going to be, and which guy's the best fit for what they want to do? Kingsbury tried to run the ball more last year. Didn't always work, but I credit him for doing it and for trying because too many times in the years past, you just knew Texas Tech was going to throw the ball. It's like it wasn't even a, a debate Teams could play him defensively every time with five, six defensive backs knowing that, you know what, this team's not going to run. We know it. And it wasn't always successful, but Kingsbury ran the ball a lot more last year in terms of rushing attempts than he had in previous seasons. But who's going to lead the offense? We saw a little bit of McLean Carter last year. Uh, wasn't impressed. Nick Shimanek had to bail him out in that Texas game. Maybe a year, maybe another offseason, he's in a better place. Um, he's more impressive, but also you have wide receivers that are gone. Kiki QT, Dylan Cantrell, Cameron Baston, all graduating or going to the NFL. So once again, there's, there's plenty of talent at the position. TJ Vasher leading the way, but, uh, you know, what about the rest of these guys? Who else is available? Who else is going to step up at that position? It's, it's interesting because the defense actually has less question marks for Texas Tech, which is kind of shocking when you think about it. David Gibbs, the defensive coordinator, who's really begun to turn things around there. It's not that Texas Tech is going to stop you and they're going to be like this you know, team allowing 17 points a game, but they're forcing turnovers. They're being opportunistic, and that's what David Gibbs has wanted them to do from the get-go, and they did that last year, leading the Big 12 in turnover margin. I mean, that's a huge reason that this team got to bowl eligibility. So can he continue that trend? A lot of the guys from last year are back, and that's a good thing for David Gibbs because it's a do-or-die year for Kingsbury and this entire staff. I didn't know if he was going to make it through last season, and the Texas game, we may never know, had he lost that Texas game at the end of the season, if Cliff Kingsbury would still be employed. I think it was a 50-50 shot he was gone. But he's got another year, he's got another chance, and it's his turn to now make the most of it. And I, I wrote about this on the site. Um, the Baylor Bears, and, and you know, some people mocked me for it and, and laughed at me and the whole thing. But I really believe we're overlooking this Baylor Bears offense. And hear me out here. If you have to take one Big 12 quarterback for the foreseeable future in this conference, who's it going to be? I can make a really strong argument that it's Charlie Brewer. He's one of three true sophomore quarterbacks entering this year. It's Brewer, TCU Sean Robinson, and Sam Ellinger at Texas. Which one of those three do you want? I'd take Brewer. From what I've seen, from the potential, the upside... Of those three, give me Charlie Brewer. Now, the offensive line was horrible for Baylor last year. They allowed a Big 12 worst 37 sacks and 94 tackles for loss, ranking 126th in the NCAA. 
but it was a young group of guys only losing one from last season. They got the Clemson transfer coming in a tackle. And don't forget Matt Rule was the offensive line coach with the New York Giants back in 2012. He knows that unit, which desperately needs help. At the running back spot, you've got John Lovett, who had a great true freshman year, and Jermichael Hasty. That's a great one-two punch. Two guys that can legitimately give you 100-yard games week in, week out. It's pretty darn good. And the wide receiver position is loaded for Baylor. Denzel Mims, Blake Lynch, Pooh Strickland. And then you're welcoming back Chris Platt and R.J. Snood, who went down with injuries during the season. So I believe the potential is there for Baylor. They had one win last season. I know they're the butt of every joke right now. Baylor this, Baylor that. But if you look at the roster potential and the offensive side of the ball and what this team could do, man, it's pretty exciting. You don't want to admit it. Hate on the Bears all you want. I'm not like some pro Baylor guy. But just look at the tea leaves and look at how much turnover there's been in the Big 12 at that quarterback position. There's no Baker Mayfield. There's no Mason Rudolph. There's no Kenny Hill. A lot of new faces in that position, which drives so much of what happens and the success in this sport. Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Coming up next, which former Big 12 quarterback is potentially being overlooked in the NFL draft? We'll get to it. Pete Mundo, final few minutes with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Always appreciate you guys joining us and tuning in and being a part of the show as we air on terrestrial radio, we're on podcasts, everywhere. So it's uh, really a pleasure to be here with you as always. Now, Nick Shimanek, Kansas State, Kansas State, what am I talking about? Texas Tech quarterback. I, I'm in Kansas City now, so I got Kansas on my mind. I just can't shake it. <laughs> Texas Tech quarterback last year. Took over for Patrick Mahomes. You know, former Iowa quarterback transfers to Tech and has to wait his time. And he got his turn last year. And, you know, he performed admirably. I'm not going to say that uh, Nick Shimanek was lights out. He wasn't. And Cliff Kingsbury sat him for a period of time. And then he had to get his job back. And ironically enough, it was Nick Shimanek who bailed out Cliff Kingsbury and may very well have saved Cliff Kingsbury's job in that Texas game when you really think about it. So pretty crazy stuff there. But uh, people are discussing Nick Shimanek and whether or not he is a legitimate chance at maybe not being drafted, but getting picked up somewhere along the line in the NFL. Maybe he gets drafted. Maybe he's like a seventh round flyer for a team like the Patriots. I, I don't know. I don't. But I do know this, that when you follow a guy like Nick Shimanek and, you know, you watch his career unfold, he doesn't have a ton of tape because of the simple fact that he only played for a year. I mean, that was it. That was the extent of his playing time. But uh, reportedly met with 20 NFL teams. He never really got a ton of looks because of the fact that, you know, he didn't play a lot. But he met with 20 NFL teams, and Bleach reports Doug Farrar. This was fascinating. He calls Nick Shimanek, when he watches the tape, a cross between Nick Foles of the Eagles and a younger version of Matt Ryan before Ryan learned to slow things down as he read defenses and started to use his mobility as an attribute. That's a hell of a comparison. If you have that kind of a comparison and you cannot in some way get a look for a late-round pick at the most needy position in all of football, 
I, you know, I, I think Nick Shimanek's in a pretty good spot here right now. And I think he's going to impress a lot of guys as well when he gets into that room with them and he meets with them and he sits down for conversations and they talk things over. I think that's where Nick Shimanek can really shine and can impress and can build whatever his draft stock is. You know, I'm not a draft guru. I don't pretend to be. But I do know that I watched Nick Shimanek all year and he can throw with those guys. He just doesn't have the reps, you know, because he sat for... The last two years under Pat Mahomes, played a little bit of Iowa, then there was Webb as well, then Mahomes, then he finally got a shot his last season. That's sometimes how it works in college football. You know, you don't know who you're going to end up sitting behind, and then you're going to have to wait sometimes longer than you think. He got his shot this year. He performed admirably. He wasn't always great. You could tell he's still very green. He's very raw. But there's a lot of potential with Nick Shimanek. And... Uh, a team would be wise to take a late round flyer on him. I don't see the downside. If you got a veteran quarterback, a decent backup, and he can be the third quarterback on your roster, that's a pretty good situation to have a guy like Nick Shimanek as the third quarterback on your roster when you consider what the ceiling could be. Not what it will be, what it could be. And that is what's most important. Because when you're dealing with 6th and 7th round picks, you're, you you should be making any of those picks based on potential, not based on need. You know, rounds 1, 2, 3, 4 is where you get the guys in need. Once you get to the back end of the draft, it should be all about what can this guy do in a best case scenario. I'm not an NFL GM, but that's how I'd be going about it. What could this guy be if things just hit perfectly? What's the upside here? That's how I look at it. And when you have the most important position in, in the game, you definitely take a look at a guy like Nick Shemanek. A name you're not hearing much of these days is Mason Rudolph. I, I'm just, you know, even Lamar Jackson moving up, Baker Mayfield now, a top five pick, it seems like. You're not hearing a whole lot about Mason Rudolph. And... I'm a little bit surprised by that because I, I sat with Mason Rudolph last year at Big 12 Media Days. He's mature. He's poised. He's bright. I know he maybe didn't have the best season his senior year. It didn't maybe live up to some of the hype. There were times when his throws were off. He never improved like I think a lot of people expected him to on the intermediate throws. He still has a great deep ball, but in that 10 to 15-yard range, Mace Rudolph struggled at times. His footwork was all over the place on those throws, and he never looked entirely comfortable. So it's interesting to see as basically every quarterback in the draft has seen his stock rise at the top, at least, from Allen to Darnold to Rosen to Mayfield to Jackson. You don't hear a ton about Mason Rudolph, and maybe he slides into the – maybe he's still a first-round pick. And a team like, I don't know, the Saints – Decide, hey, you know what? We like Mason Rudolph. Let's take a flyer on him and see what he's all about. And I, I, I don't, I don't know if that's definitely going to happen, but certainly could. And it's a possibility. But it's just very interesting to me that Mason Rudolph's name has not really shown up as a guy whose draft stock is rapidly improving, whereas it's happening for most of the other quarterbacks in the NFL draft, which takes place later this month at. Jerry's world. 
And the idea that a lot of these guys are not attending the NFL draft, I, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't. I think that that's just overblown for TV and all these places want these guys to be there. But I don't think it's a big deal. I really don't. And if these guys want to stay home and they want to be with their families, let them do it. Baker Mayfield's not going. He said, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go to the NFL draft. And I don't, I don't blame them. Let these guys sit at home with their families. Why do they have to go down and do the whole dog and pony show at Roger Goodell? And nobody likes anyway. And the guy's, guy's got the personality of a chalkboard. So why are we going to bother with that? I have no issues at all with these players deciding, you know what? I'm staying at home. I'm not bothering. I want to be with friends and family. I want to put a camera in my living room, have some fun, go at it. But I, you know, the whole song and dance, I'll pass, I'll skip. I don't need it. I don't want to be a part of it. I have no issues with these guys doing that. You know, it used to be a must-do. You wanted to be invited to the NFL draft. Now it's kind of going in the opposite direction where it's like, uh, you know what, it's kind of cool to not go. It's funny how these things like go in waves and trends. Used to be you wanted to go, you wanted to have the nicest suit, you wanted to be involved, and then it kind of reversed. And a big part of that was because when a guy like Johnny Manziel is sitting there as pick 8, 9, 10, 11 goes by and no one's picking him and the camera keeps showing him and he's looking nervous and jittery, it's like, I don't need that. If this doesn't work, I don't want to have to be having the cameras on me as my draft stock slides in front of my very eyes and I'm losing millions and millions of dollars by the second. I don't want to do that. All right, fine, then he won't do it. See how the NFL likes that, you know, when some of these biggest names decide they're not going. They don't want to be pawned out. They have a choice. They don't have to go. Baker Mayfield's draft, it's not going to matter where he gets drafted, whether or not he shows up at uh, AT&T Stadium. Not going to matter one bit at all. Pete Mundo with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me, guys. Really appreciate it. Once again, I'm in Kansas City now for good, hosting mornings on KCMO. So I'm here. I'm in Big 12 country. I couldn't be happier about that. And we will talk to you next week, same time, same place, on Heartland College Sports Weekly. 2,000 country stations. Yeah, we're one big country nation. That's right.